sun is shining. It is great. Hey, listen, would you stand with me this morning as we begin our service singing, Shout to the Lord. My Jesus, my Savior, my Every breath. 
Amen. I want to say welcome to Calvary. Good to have you here this morning. And as we join together, we join around God's word to learn from him. And we join our voices together to worship. We truly are blessed to be able to sing as a group of people on this day. And we have a God who is worthy of our praise. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 29, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. I want to say welcome to Calvary. It's great to have you here. Thank you for those of you who prayed for myself and my family for the past couple weeks when we were on vacation. We did leave the kids in Colorado, but they are going to come back with us um, in 10 more days or 7 more days, I think. And, uh, but we do appreciate your prayers. We had a wonderful time of ref- refreshment while we were away, and it's good to be home. I have a few announcements for you before we take our offering this morning. Uh, first of all, if you're a guest for the first time here at Calvary, I want to say welcome and thank you for being here. I trust that it's a place where you're able to see God and hear from him as well as uh, meet a group of friendly believers uh, that you uh, can uh, interact with and worship together with. If it's your first time here, we have some blue bags on the, black ta- on the back table there. And if you would grab one of those, it's got some information about our church so you can learn a little bit more about Calvary as well as a book and so some candies in there as well. And if you would, please, if you're first time here, uh, fill out an information slip. It's connected to your bulletin. It says connection card. And if you would fill that out, and right before I preach, the ushers are going to come with some offering plates, and we're going to pass all those and the attendance slips to the outside. So everybody else, great chance for you to fill out that attendance slip and be ready to hand it to the outside aisles um, in just a few moments. I want to say thank you to everybody who participated in the Baby Bottle Campaign. 
this is a wonderful opportunity, and I do get the numbers back. It's several weeks down the road, but they count this money, and they give back how much they took in total to support our Pregnancy Resource Center here in Lapeer, um, as well as how much we gave from Calvary, and it's a wonderful blessing. If you have one of these at home still, or if you have one from last year that you forgot to bring in, fill it up or halfway and bring it in and set it on the table, and we will make sure those get turned in over the next few weeks. That's why it takes them a little while to count the money, because some of them uh, you know, pepper in over the next uh, several weeks. The teen group has a pool party this coming Wednesday at the Sharma's house from 3 to 6 p.m. See Nathan Barrett for more details about that. And then coming up very soon, the week of July 8th through the 12th, Calvary will be having an emphasis on five-day clubs. So good news, uh, these are like good news clubs where they'll have Bible stories, the gospel presented. And this year we're trying to get into multiple neighborhoods. Uh, For the first four days, we'll be in multiple locations. And then Friday, we will have a special day here at the church with the gymnasium and hopefully the bounce house and things like that. That's July 8th through the 12th. I still need one or two more places where we can meet. So if your home is a good place where you can host and we can take care of the teaching and even the snacks and helpers, but we need some good neighborhoods to meet in. And so uh, see Anna Barrup if you you can help with any of those things, snacks or uh, just a volunteer. And then four weeks away is our men's fun shoot. We do not get together and, and have a banquet and drink tea as men. We get together and grunt and shoot guns is what we do. And so July 20th, out at Fred Green's house, we'll have a men's fun shoot. There are details in your bulletin as well as some signs around the church. Please do plan on that. And then um, let's see. I'll give you an update on the remodel. There's an update of what's been happening lately. I'll tell you what's going to happen this week. Very, very busy week in our uh, remodel where the pews will be installed this week. And so um, please pray for that. They're going to do it in about three days' time and uh, work through. And then also we'll have some more work done in the balcony um, that's been added. And then also the final sound work will be done this week. Please be praying. Uh, We're looking at this week for all that to be done. And then we have some final painting the week after that. And then we have carpet the week after that. And then we get to go in the new sanctuary. So... And some of you like the gymnasium. I know that. Just a few of you probably, right? And so, but most of us like the nice sanctuary that we have, and it'll be even nicer a place for us to worship in. And so we're looking at, we're ahead of schedule still. Mid to late July is a what we will be. If I could have the ushers make their way to the front, please. Um, if you're a visitor with us, please feel no obligation to give. We have folks here at Calvary that worship through their giving. They know how much God has blessed them, and they want to give back out of obedience and out of love as well. Um, If you are one that pays attention to our website and our Bible Knowledge Hour, um, those are an opportunity for you to learn more about God's Word. And um, there's a chance for you, if you know nothing about the Bible, to go on there and click on Lesson 1, What is the Bible? How did we get the Bible? And um, it's a help for you. And we'll be starting recording those live again tonight at 6 p.m. in our Bible Knowledge Hour. If you want to come out tonight and be here for that, we'll be in First and Second Samuel for one more time. All right, I'm going to ask you to bow with me, and we'll ask the blessing on the service and also on the offering. Heavenly Father, as we look to you, we understand that you are the giver of all good things. If we slow down and look at it and recognize just how wonderful your plan is, we thank you for creation. We can sing about that. We praise you for the many blessings that we can see throughout our life. Help us not to rush so quickly that we miss those. We give you praise and glory. 
and for things like the jobs that we have, the, the money that we are stewards of. We praise you for that. We thank you that this church can have a wonderful impact around the world as we can give money and it can spread the gospel right here in our Jerusalem as well as on the other side of the world. We thank you for that. God, we praise you for being one that gives us those things. And I thank you, Lord, for those many people that are faithful in giving back to you. We ask you to bless the offering. We ask you to bless our service as well. Thank you for the voices that you've given us. Thank you for the change you've made in our heart that we can sing about. We praise you that we can gather around your word. And we would ask, God, that you will allow, allow us to be in this place a grateful people because of who you are and what you've done. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Psalms 95, verse 1 through 5 says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Thank you. 
Tim Gordy will help me with getting these things out of the way. Kids are dismissed to Children's Church. Kids, don't be seated. Get running out of here. Make your way out to Children's Church. And also, everybody else, if you would take your attendance slip and your visitor slip and pass to the outside, the ushers are coming to the front with some plates, and we're going to collect those. And so please pass those to the outside edge. We do appreciate you doing that. I know people don't like to have the church police look after them, making sure they're at church, but it is nice to know who is here and who's not here. And uh, it's great to have the visitors here as well. All right, as they're making their way to the back, we're going to go ahead and ask for God's blessing as we open his word today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we look to you today, we would ask for the clear involvement of the Holy Spirit. We do thank you, Lord, for the word of God. We do thank you for the change that you've made in our lives. And God, I would ask that you would allow us to learn from your word. Help me to not get in the way, but to, be, to teach exactly what Jesus Christ had in mind when he went through this wonderful sermon. Allow us, Lord, to learn from your word for it to change our minds and our hearts so that we can live better for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. These days, if someone needs some extra information, they might go to a website called Wikipedia. You can type in about any kind of a topic and get something about that. Whether it's right or wrong, I cannot say. If you need some advice and need some counsel, there might be a variety of places you can go Many years ago, there used to be an advice column, probably the most popular advice column of its day, maybe ever in written print, and it was called Dear Abby. Some of you are familiar with that. We have some real gems uh, from Dear Abby that we can learn from. There's one individual that wrote in for some advice from Abby, and he did not get the response that he wanted. And I wanted us to spend the beginning time, talking about that because it sets a good foundation for where we're going to be in God's Word today. He writes, Dear Abby, I'm in love, but I'm also having an affair with a different woman. I cannot marry them both. Please tell me what to do. But don't give me any of that morality stuff, is what this guy wrote. Abby's reply was short and not what he expected. Dear sir, the only difference between humans and animals is morality. Please write to a veterinarian, is what (laughs) she said. People in this world have a hard time accepting the values that God has put in place. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, Chastity is the most unpopular of all Christian virtues. I was talking to someone about that quote this week, and they said, chastity. Does anybody even know what that word means these days? Chastity. What we'll see in God's word today is that God has a strategy for you as his children to be able to walk in this world and to have a good marriage, which is going to have after effects. And also, the devil has a strategy in this world, to mess up what you have in your, in your marriage relationship. The devil wants you and I to underestimate, this is where we'll be getting at in the Bible, to underestimate the seriousness of looking at someone who is not your spouse with feelings of desire that only belong to a spouse. 
All that to take us to our text. If you're not already there, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount. I've been gone for a couple weeks, and so I will just reference one verse that really, if you're a person that marks in your Bible, and I recommend you do, um, this is a verse to underline, and then you might even draw several lines from other areas back to this verse, and that is Matthew chapter 5, verse number 20, where Jesus Christ drops this on the group that are listening to the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. After Jesus says that, there are six topics that he is going to touch on. And in each one of those six six topics, we're on the second one this morning, in each one of those six topics, he says something to this idea, something like, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And he's not undoing the law at all. But what Jesus is actually doing is he is affirming the Old Testament teaching that they were familiar with, and he is also correcting the misleading of the religious leaders of that day. I've broken it down to three points. They don't, they're not equal necessarily, but for some of you who take notes, number one Jesus affirms God's law about adultery and amplifies it. Jesus affirms God's law about adultery and amplifies it. I want to read verses 27 and 28 of Matthew chapter 5, where it says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Let's stop right there. If we want to define adultery, and I think it's a good idea to do that, I think in Jesus' day they had a definition of what adultery was. It's fair to say that adultery is a married person having a sexual relationship with someone who is not their spouse. Of course, thou shalt not commit adultery is very familiar to us. It's the seventh commandment out of the ten commandments. And the Jewish people not only would have these commandments memorized in order, but the Jewish people would understand what the punishment was for violating these. And it's very interesting that God, and before I say this, let me take you back to the Old Testament days where they would come and make a sacrifice, a sin sacrifice, sacrifice, sometimes a sacrifice for sins they didn't even know they committed, an entire system that was established. And it's very interesting that God never made any provision in the law for a sacrifice for the sins of murder and adultery. Run through and look at this. You will not find that anywhere. Instead, there was a definite punishment for that. If we can fast forward a little bit, King David knew this law. King David knew the punishment for this. And yet when King David prayed to God after he committed adultery and after he committed murder, after he was confronted by that sin, by the prophet Nathan, when he said, Thou art the man, and David was caught 
in that miserable year of his life when he was backslidden. And after that, we find that David writes Psalm 51. Write that down if you're not familiar with that psalm. Psalm 51. And David writes after he's caught in this and he's turning to God. And David does not write, I've brought the the acceptable sacrifice to atone for that sin. That's not what David writes. Right away, the first words in Psalm 51 are, Have mercy on me, O God. No sacrifice for murder or adultery. So as Jesus Christ teaches on this, what solution does he give for murder and for adultery? We've already talked about murder, which stems from anger. Jesus said you have to deal with the anger in your heart. You cannot allow yourself to have a lifestyle that is dominated by anger. There will be effects. There can be an ultimate effect of murder if you don't get that under control. And then he talks about adultery, which comes from lust in the heart. And if I can tie these two together just one more time, lust and anger have some things in common that I think are worthy of us noting. First of all, both anger and lust have a tendency to overtake a person's life if they're not kept in check. I don't want you to say any names out loud, and I don't want you to elbow anybody sitting next to you. But if you've ever known somebody who has had anger as a huge part of their life, to the point where when they just get bumped a little tiny bit in this world, the anger spills out like venom. Or if you've known somebody who is so consumed with sexual lust, they can't control where their eyes go. They can't control what they say. They can't keep relationships. Lust and anger have in common. They will overtake your life. But also, and this is an extremely important one, Lust and anger have in common that they both devalue people. When it comes to murder, that devalues a life, obviously. When it comes to lust and adultery, when it comes to pornography, this devalues people. We do not see them as individuals that were made in the image of God but instead as things that are there for consumption or personal satisfaction. And that's why it's so important to learn how God views people. Because how you and I view people and treat people needs to reflect how our Creator views and treats people. We could spend a lot of time talking about marriage. I don't I'm just going to cover this one, uh, this one topic today. And next week we'll be into the issue of divorce. Talking about this idea of marriage, though, I need to set the record straight for several people because if you are like many people and many Christians in America, you have missed the idea that marriage is not an idea that was developed by man. I have said before that the devil's strategy is so good that he can take anything, he can take anything good, anything of value, and turn it into something for his use, for a negative. And I even challenged us with that. I said, anything positive you could think of, just about probably, can be taken by the devil and twisted into something that is a negative, that is a sin. Things like the Bible. 
Things like the Ten Commandments can be taken and twisted. Jesus is correcting a false teaching of the Seventh Commandment here. Things like marriage. Things like sex. These were God's idea from the beginning. It is God who invented marriage, and God gets to set the guidelines for marriage. And we think to ourselves, I know so many people that are married that aren't Christians. What do we do with that? I think if you go back in history and look at the foundation of our country, it was started with Christian values. That flowed into many of our laws, which sometimes get changed from so many years ago um, where the laws about divorce were changed. And we'll get to that next week. Marriage was God's idea, but it was John MacArthur who said marriage was invented in heaven, but it is lived out here on earth. And isn't that wise? Yeah, it's God's idea, but I'm down here and I've got to figure this thing out. When God created man, he made man with several purposes, and one of those was to fill the earth, multiply, and fill the earth. God made man with certain drives. God intended for us to continue the human race, and I'm glad for that. I mean, if God did not put those drives within us, then I think when Adam and Eve first met, Adam would have saw Eve, and he would have shook out his hand to shake hands and said, nice to meet you, I'm going fishing. But that's not what happened. We know that there was an attraction that was there. Instead, sex is something that is ordained by God, not something that is outside of God's realm, outside where God gets to set the guidelines. And it is perfectly proper in its God-ordained place. Does anybody else here like me that you get angry when certain ideas that were God's have been hijacked by the world? I mean, honestly, when I say the word sex, do some of us tense up a little bit? Nothing sinful about sex when God made that. Within the confines of marriage, this is God's plan. But the devil can take something so wonderful and he can turn it to be used as not only something negative, but one of the most powerful negatives that some individuals will face, even Christians will face. If we could fast forward from the Garden of Eden to when the law was given, these guidelines for how the Israelites were supposed to act. Remember, they were freed from slavery in Egypt, and now they're going to go out on their own. God has to give them some guidelines for how, they t- for how they're to act in order to have a civil society. And if the commandments that God gives are not kept, then there will not be order. And very, very practically, we need to understand that when we have a healthy marriage, it is going to lead to a healthy family. And when we have a healthy family, it is going to lead to healthy churches. All of these were God's idea. For those of you who like to dig a little bit deeper, let me give you one thing that you might write down and do some further study on. Two purposes for the law. Jesus Christ says, you have heard it said, and then he mentions a law. Two purposes for these laws. We're going to cover the immediate purpose today, which is to give us social order, to help us in our relationships, our marriages. 
to help us with the lust that can consume some people. But then here's the bigger picture, and here's the the jump-off point for a bigger study, if you like. Each of those laws is to each of those laws is to drive us to the grace of Jesus Christ. Every one of the laws of God actually points us to the place where we say, I can't do this on my own. I can't do this. And there is an object there that God wants to point out that it is supposed to drive us to Jesus Christ and His forgiveness. The Apostle Paul gives great commentary on this when he writes that the law is our schoolmaster to drive us to Jesus. If I could use one illustration from the life of Jesus to help us with this. From John chapter 8, I'm just going to reference the story In John chapter 8, we have the story of the woman who is caught in adultery. Jesus Christ is there. He's in public. And some of the religious leaders go and they get this woman who's committing adultery, caught in the very act is what the Bible says. They drag her and throw her down in front of Jesus Christ. And then they bring up the law. Jesus, the law says that such a woman should be stoned. What do you say? And some of you might remember the response that Jesus had. His first response was actually a physical response. Do you remember what he did? Jesus Christ stooped down on the ground and he wrote in the sand. What did he write? I know some people that feel very strongly about what was written in the sand, and I'll share uh, one teacher's opinion with you in just a moment. But I want to suggest that even though Jesus Christ did not respond verbally, they didn't let up. Here she is. They thought they were going to stump him. I think that um, even though the, the punishment for breaking such laws was death, I don't think it was very common back in that day. I don't think they were stoning people a whole lot for that. And yet they thought they would catch Jesus with this question. Jesus Christ stoops down, he writes in the sand, and then they ask him again, teacher, what do you say about this woman? And of course, Jesus Christ says those wonderful words, let him who is without sin among you be the first one to cast the stone. Understand that in that day, it was common that the family that was offended would be the first ones to cast the stone. And so Jesus Christ says, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And then you know what he did again? He knelt down and wrote in the sand. Now, I love the white spaces between the lines in the Bibles. We need to be very, very careful not to be dogmatic about what the Bible doesn't say. But let me give you an opinion, a Bible teacher that I respect. He firmly believes that what Jesus Christ wrote in the sand was the names of those accusers that were there. And I can't help but wonder if maybe he wrote something next to their name, maybe the name of a woman, maybe the name of a sin they had committed. And the Bible tells us that starting with the oldest They dropped their stone and walked away, going all the way down to the youngest that was there until Jesus, who was patiently waiting, it wasn't Jesus patient, patiently waiting 
And he had won this one. They thought they were going to get him. And he looks up at the woman who is still there. The woman who understands that the punishment technically is death for her sin. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, they're not here. There are none. And what does Jesus say to her? He says, neither do I condemn thee. And from now on, go and sin no more. There's forgiveness. By the way, if I can just borrow that picture of that woman caught in the act of adultery. Sitting there on the ground, most likely, wondering if she's going to be killed. Here's these guys who have a whole lot of power in her community, quoting the law. What's going to happen? Probably had some rocks in their hands. I think they did. If you found yourself in a place where you've been caught in that sexual sin, your world is upside down. It's at a place like that where you're not thinking clearly, where you've gone so much farther than you thought sin would take you. And we need to understand that it is so serious and there can be dire consequences. But we also need to come to the realization that there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Even David realized this. Even though he didn't know the work of the cross yet, he was looking forward to that. And we do not find Jesus excusing sin, but instead we find him offering forgiveness when a person forsakes their sin. It's very, very important. There was something very wrong, very wrong with the way the scribes and the Pharisees taught the seventh commandment. They would teach this. The sin is only in the physical act. God is only concerned with the physical act. And so you can lust all you want. In fact, let's have some clubs where we get together and lust. They could fantasize about being with another all they wanted, and they were still righteous, was what they taught. Jesus Christ says, whoever looks at a woman and lusts after her has committed adultery already in his heart. Can we read those last two verses in Matthew, or the the last two verses of our text, starting in verse 29 of Matthew 5? Jesus says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members then your whole body go into hell. Jesus Christ uses hyperbole here in his teaching, which is acceptable. This means Jesus exaggerates a point in order to make a point. So we are not to take this literally, that we are to cut out our eye. And if you research hard enough, you can find some tragic stories about individuals who have cut off their hand. Christ is not speaking literally here. He's using hyperbole to stress this importance. The importance of not only the action, but the importance of the heart. God is not just concerned that we are robots keeping this list of things on the outward. God wants our heart. If the heart's desire is important, then let's go ahead and look at the strategy of the devil. 
the strategy of the devil, and we'll also see what God gives us as we look, in, as we look at this. So point number two has three subpoints. We'll go a little bit quicker through these. 2A is the looking eye. The looking eye. And when we mention this, the eye that we have, we need to talk about the enemy strategy. The enemy strategy. Because the most common stimulator that would lead us to adultery is the eye. What the eye sees, it will eventually crave if it is not kept in check. Our appetites lead to actions. And the strategy of our enemy is to take what God has given us and turn it into something only to be used for the negative, for anti-God. The expression, sex sells. You don't have to be around very long in our country to understand that people, have under, that people can take this idea of sexiness, this idea of something that God has given us, and they can twist it into something to making money. They can twist it into something to making themselves feel better about themselves. The looking eye. Now, tough question, so don't shake your head too quickly. Is it a sin for you to see something or to look at something right away? I'm going to give you the answer. The answer is no. It is not a sin for you to see something. But when we make a conscious decision to look back, when you know what that was, and there was a pull. And you make a conscious decision to put yourself in the pathway where you can see it again. I think that's when we have crossed from the point of where it's not sin, it's just a temptation, to where it is sin. We have this problem Intentionally looking is what I would call lingering. So that's the next sub-point, the lingering eye. The lingering eye. God gives us a strategy. If you'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to read one verse. If you want to just write it down, write the reference down and look at it later, I don't have it on the screen for you. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we find that God has a strategy to protect marriage, to help us in our relationships. Listen. This is crunch time. This time between the looking eye and the lingering eye. This is it. This is where we need to get serious. How do we act when we have this pulling towards lingering? And verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 10 tells us, God's plan for us, that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful. Let's pause. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not let you go through a temptation that is so strong you cannot bear it. You are not allowed to say, the devil made me do it, I could not help it. God with that temptation, makes a way of escape. That might be a different place for different people. You might talk to one gentleman, and his way of escape came much, much earlier than this person's way of escape. I've known certain guys that had to put certain fences up in their life to keep them away from that. 
And in the church world that we live in, <clears throat> we work very hard not to just look like something that's a bunch of rules. And the huge lie and the huge danger that the devil would love to have us jump into is that we throw out all the rules so that the world outside can see us and say, yes, not so bad. And if you have lived it, you understand that you need some guidelines in your life to keep you away from that. And this applies to sexual temptation, but so many others as well. We need some guidelines. And God has promised that you will be able to endure it. But if you choose to linger, that's when it is sin. And we're not done there. Our third sub-point under number two is that lingering turns to longing. This is a very, very dangerous place. If you put yourself in the place where you can see that repeatedly, let me give you an example. Wonderful Christian man in an institution. And years ago, he was interviewing for a secretary. And the way the office was set up, he had a direct view of his secretary right from his desk. And one girl that interviewed for the job was just beautiful. She was just breathtakingly beautiful. And she would be sitting right there in his view all day long. And he chose not to give her the job. And some folks would judge and say, well, what a pervert. Some folks would judge and say, my goodness, can't you get a, get a control, get some control? I would tell you, gentlemen and ladies, we need fences in our life to help us to land where God wants us to land. And yours might look different than the next person. The biggest danger is when you judge others for not having your same one. That's a huge, huge danger. That's what turns the world off is when we're not only judging them, but judging each other. The longing eye is a dangerous place, but do not miss this point. The longing eye, you may have sinned, you may have lost the battle, but you've not, won, you've not lost the war, right? And there are people who think just because they've given in and they've longed and they've lusted after that individual, well, since I've already done that, I might as well go through with it. But I don't have to work too hard to explain to you that the sin and the harm that would come from lusting or pornography or a dirty mind is still different than when you go through with that act and you commit adultery. You seek that out. You break that wedding vow in a very unique and hurtful way. So I want to remind us that you may have lost the battle when it comes to longing, but you have not lost the war. You need to stop. The Bible says you have sinned at this point, but there are still levels of protection. And I, I apologize that I don't have some better examples to give you. But when I talk about fences, every one of us is a bit different. You need to have some guidelines that you've set up in your life. Even if you get to that point where you've lost the, 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 the lingering object. You've lingered and you've sinned in your mind. That's what Jesus is talking about. You should have some guidelines, listen to me, have some guidelines set up to where it's going to be very, very hard for you to take that next step. 
You need to have associations that would be shocked to know that you're looking at something or that you're talking about the opposite sex in a certain way. That's what we do along the journey. These are things that we set up. It means that we don't casually flirt with the opposite sex. That might lead to something. You nip that in the bud. So that person who maybe you are attracted to in some way, you would look and they're a beautiful person, but you don't flirt. So that if something happens, you don't have an easy gateway to step into that adultery. Having accountability, there there is no better thing that you can put in place if you have a lust problem than a one-on-one accountability with a person who is going to ask you that toughest question in about three or four days. If you know they're going to ask you that question, have you lusted after anyone? Have you had any wrong motives with your talking with someone of the opposite sex? And you know they're going to ask that question. It will help you to put that guideline in place. Too many people, when they come and they break that idea of a lingering eye, it's just like, I speak from experience, it's just like a diet. I've already eaten the candy bar, so I might as well go to the Chinese buffet, some people think, right? I've already blown it for the day. Let's just get the Ben and Jerry's and enjoy ourselves the evening, right? I think I've gotten a little bit too hard on myself probably there. Don't let that happen. Understand that the war is not lost. And I've used this illustration before. I will cover it very, very quickly when it comes to guidelines and fences. There's a beautiful illustration that was taught um, in philosophy or in, in um in, Christi- in churches years ago that had this picture of a cliff. And here we are as Christians living on top of the cliff. So many Christians will fall off that cliff, the sin that comes, the horrible things that happen. And so what we have to do is we have to build a hospital at the bottom of the cliff for all these that are falling off. Those hospitals might be similar to your homeless shelter. Other places that are caring for individuals that are Christians that have that have just gone through this horrible sin. But then that, that picture, that illustration is so beautiful because the hospitals are important, but what also is important and maybe more important is at the top of the cliff we build a fence. Listen, young people, some of you think that your parents are fuddy-duddies and their rules are junk. Wait till you have kids. Just wait till you have kids. You'll be making all kinds of rules. We took our family to the Grand Canyon a few years ago. I was a st- we hiked about a half mile down in the Grand Canyon, and I was astounded that on that trail, in so many areas, there's no fence. There's no fence. Literally, watch me, literally, you do this, and it's a 500-foot drop. And I saw some three- and four-year-old kids walking on their own without holding mom and dad's hand. Ugh, I know, your moms are just having a feeling in your stomach, aren't you? Listen to me. Some of you are walking near a cliff. And the consequences of what can happen are devastating. Jesus Christ says it is not good enough just not to fall off the cliff. He says he wants your heart. Guard your heart. Put fences in your life. This will point us to what God wants us to have. 
Jesus invites the audience of his day and for us today to look differently at the world because you live in this country in this day. And they've taken everything good that God has given us and turned it into something awful. All right, what can we do? This is the last one, point number three. This will go very quick. What can you do to get victory? First of all, burn the bridges of temptation. You're going to have to know yourself. You're going to have to pay attention. So when you go down a road and you find yourself putting yourself in a place where you can see that individual or a place where you feel some kind of a longing for someone not your spouse, you need to mark that. And then when you are going through your everyday life, mark those things and burn those bridges of temptation. And this is an ongoing process, right? I read through some teaching on this from about... 40 years ago. And there was absolutely no reference to the internet at all because it wasn't around 40 years ago. Understand, you might get a handle on one area and you might have a good help and a good fence there and the devil's going to say, that's cool, but he's going to try to sneak something else in. You need to burn those bridges. You need to pay attention for where you are pulled, where you are tempted to linger. You've not sinned yet, but you're tempted to linger before the lingering turns into longing. And then next, rekindle the longing for your spouse. And this is just very, very practical. For those who are married, if you are one who is having a longing sexually for someone else, I'm fairly confident that when you got married or before, there was some kind of attraction there for your spouse. I can't speak with complete authority, but I'm a pretty good guesser, and I think it was probably there. I think you were probably attracted to your husband or your wife. And so when I say rekindle that, here's the last illustration, and then I'll close. Imagine for yourself, you've, if we can go to the fall, it's a few months away, imagine you're at Thanksgiving dinner, and you're sitting there at Thanksgiving dinner, And you've looked forward to this. You've had the smells in the house of what's going to be happening. You've had some input as to what your favorite thing is. Or maybe mom or grandma makes the same thing every year. And you know what's coming at Thanksgiving dinner. And so wonderfully, when it is time to eat the Thanksgiving meal, you pull yourself up to the table. And you eat. And you have the turkey that you love. And you have the potatoes that you love. Whatever kind of bread or roll that you enjoy. Maybe... Aunt Pat's green bean casserole makes it in there. And if you're like my house, you'll have some sweet potato casserole, which is more like dessert. And then maybe you'll have deviled eggs in there. And you eat all that. You empty your plate. And then if you're like me, you try to figure out what were your favorite things so I can have one small serving of those two or three more things. And you go back and get a little bit more, even though you're full of your favorite things. And then you eat that. And then the question comes up that sometimes comes up. Are we going to have dessert later or are we going to have dessert now? And then you hear the answer, well, we've got to have dessert now because Cousin Joey's got to leave. All right, we're having, okay, I know what's for dessert. <laughs> Bring it on. And you take that piece of dessert that you love and you eat it. And then you get up from the table and you go over with the family. And you sit down on the couch and you're glad you wore your buffet pants that day. And as you sit there on the couch ready to visit or fall asleep, all of a sudden somebody comes walking over with a little plate, 
And on that plate is a little bologna sandwich on some crummy white bread with ketchup on it. And they bring that right in front of you. Nobody is going to say, wow, give me that. Wow. You know what? For some of you, you won't even be able to look at it. Forget lingering. You can't even look at it. Get it away. Nothing else. If you're married, this is an ongoing process that you rekindle the love that you have with your husband, with your wife. And if you have that, then when something else comes along, somebody else might see it and say, wow. And you might see it and say, bologna sandwich of ketchup. No thanks. Be aware of the devil's strategy. Here's what Jesus Christ has done. Jesus has taken six teachings. We've covered two now. Not just have we kept the law as the Pharisees, but are we keeping it as Christ would have us do it? And if Jesus has not gotten you yet, he probably will by the time we get, by the time we get into chapter 5. But we're done for today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your Son. Of course, we return to the gospel and return to the work of the cross. And we are so blessed to be able to celebrate forgiveness today. But in addition to that, you beautifully had Jesus preach while he was here in this world. And I thank you that he preached the Sermon on the Mount. And I thank you that he put this so practical for us. And I praise you that we do not have to be afraid of what the Word of God teaches. And we do not have to be afraid of what your intentions were. Because if we are going to be any kind of a light in this world, we're going to have to be different than those people who have twisted your ideas. We pray that you would help us to know your heart. And let that be reflected in our eyes, in our hands, and in our feet. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. As we've come today, it's been a topical message about lust in the heart that leads to adultery. But maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've never heard before that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. And if you will just call out for forgiveness, He will forgive you of that sin. If you've never done that, you can do that even during the still of this moment. You can pray, Jesus I know that I'm a sinner, and I see from the Bible that, your son, or the, that you died on the cross for my sins. Would you forgive me and make me your child? And there is nothing more to it than that. God promises to forgive those who call upon him. Maybe you're here today, and you've got some repenting to do. I'm glad that no one's been pulled in here when they were in the act of their sin and thrown in front of us. But perhaps you know you could have been caught in the last week, in the last month, in your sin. And you would be wondering what would happen if it was exposed. I want to encourage you. You may have lost the battle, but you do not need to think that you've lost the war. There is victory in Jesus Christ for all those who would turn to him. And even if you're saved today, but you are struggling in an area right now, you need to do some business with God. Pray to him about that right at this moment. And I will pray for those of you 
quietly from where I am at. stand and we're going to sing I sing the mighty power of God just before we sing that I'll give you a preview and maybe a homework assignment next week the topic we're going to study and I'm going to talk about is likely one of the go ahead and stand up go and stand up don't feel don't some are some are standing up go ahead everybody stand up you've been sitting long enough next week we're going to talk about a topic that's next in line in Matthew chapter 5 and I am fully aware that this is the picture in my mind as when this topic is talked about, the topic of divorce. So many people, so many Christians have the magnifying glass, and when we come across some teaching on that, you've got your magnifying glass out. All right, all right, all right. Almost waiting for where is it going to be messed up. Jesus only spends two verses talking about divorce. I am fully confident that we do not have to be afraid of any teaching in God's word. We do not have to shy away from it. And I have read uh, authors and I have heard preachers and they get so nervous around this topic and I get that. And I've had divorce impact my life in ways that are difficult. But having said that, we will approach this with the confidence that God has given us this teaching for us to journey in this world how he wants us to so get busy study up don't be too critical with a magnifying glass next time as we join together and talk about that topic because what we have as we go through our journey is the incredible power that saved us the incredible power that keeps us and the incredible power that we will celebrate one day forever with no more temptation no more lust no more anger no more sin And all God's people said amen to that. Let's sing a closing song, all three verses.
I hope you are excited to be a child of God. And I hope that you are excited that he has left you in this world, no matter how many temptations and battles you have, because it's not about you. It's about him. Go in victory.